All right, we're going to go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank for this time that we've had to worship you. We thank for each person that's here. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and see what you would have us to see from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, starting at verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law was not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, with men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So we continue here, and the first word on that, uh, that I read was but. So we have to kind of go back and look at what we talked about last week. And we talked that the completion or the wholeness of the law is love, God's love. And if God is dwelling in us, we can fulfill the law as well as we can by letting him rule through us. We're always going to have trouble fulfilling the law because we let our sin nature rule. And God says our sin nature is to be crucified. And then he goes in this verse and he says, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Okay, the law is good. And I've heard many Christians over the years say, well, the law is bad. We don't need to pay any attention to it. Well, no, the law is good. And why is the law good? It's very simple. God did not make his rules capriciously. He wasn't up in heaven saying, okay, is, is murder good or bad? Flipping a coin. <laughs> okay. He goes, murder is bad because it is contrary to his nature. Lying is bad because it is contrary to God's nature. God is truth. He is love for individuals. He will not be contrary to his nature. So the law is good because it is all about God's character. It shows us his character. So the law is good. And, and Paul right here is trying to make sure that nobody ever gets to the place where they think, just throw the law out, it's bad. But what does the law do? The law reveals sin. Okay, Paul said in Romans that we would not know sin except by the law. God came along and said, this is wrong, and we understood it to be wrong. Now, we have a conscience that tells us that it's right or wrong, but God gave us all, a whole set of rules that says these things are wrong. And when we did the evangelism class, one of the things we taught people, the first thing you've got to do to get somebody to want to even accept Jesus is make sure they understand that they're lost. <laughs> okay? This is why it's hard to reach people who think they're righteous and good, but not following God. Because they go, well, I'm good. I tell the truth most of the time. I don't cheat people most of the time. I don't have low thoughts most of the time. <laughs> and I think they're good. The law reveals that we are sinners. It says that we're all sinners. Every single person that's on the face of the earth has at least one sin in their life. And I, I say that tongue-in-cheek because we all know most of us have many, many, many sins each minute, much less in any lifetime. But here, Paul kind of lists out a bunch of these sins that, are, that he's looking at. And we want to just kind of look at these because it's kind of infinite. Oh, I wanted to bring out that for the man who uses the law lawfully, and that word really should be purpose, with, with the right purpose, if we use the law the way it's supposed to be. 
How many of you have maybe used the law the wrong way or had it used on you the wrong way where people pound on you for breaking God's rules? Now, I know that in many cases they have the right attitude or heart in some cases. They want to see you improve. But one thing I have learned is the law does not improve you. The law just gives you reasons to be disobedient and to be sad and depressed. Does that mean the law is bad? Absolutely not. Paul just said it. The law is good. If God's living in us, we will live out the law because he is going to come out. Just as we spent the whole last message last Sunday on that fact. If God dwells in us, and he does if you really truly believe that he is your, your Lord and Savior, and he is you, he indwells you, and when he indwells you, he will come out. And when he comes out, you will be somebody who is more honest, more loving, more kind, more, more forgiving. It takes him coming in first, adding with that the word of God and the Holy Spirit working on you and crucifying the flesh, and it takes time. And we need to be very careful that we're not judging even ourselves by the law. Because we could get ourselves all bound up saying, God, I am just not very good. I am not a very good person. And God's going to say, and what's new? You know, it took you how long to recognize that you're not a good person? I created you knowing that you weren't going to be a good person. You need Jesus Christ. And so we need to be careful that we don't bind ourselves up under the law. And definitely don't be binding other people up under the law. If you know somebody and you're discipling them, it's a good thing to say, these things God says are wrong. And we're going to look at some of these things that Paul said are wrong. And we're going to see how our world is living into these, these things that the Bible calls wrong. But it's important for us to understand there are rules. God has rules for us to live by. He also knows that we can't keep those rules. Which is why Jesus Christ came down to this world, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross. Jesus never sinned. And that is critical for us as Christians to understand, and for the world to understand. Jesus lived a perfect life. He is the only person that has ever lived that lived a perfect life because he had to be the perfect lamb that went to the cross. If he hadn't lived a perfect life, then Satan would have won and, and God would have lost. And then he went to the cross to die for our sins so that he could then put us under the blood for the father to look and say, these are my perfect children. You know, isn't it wonderful? God sees you in me. If you're his child, he sees you as perfect. Now, that doesn't mean we can just go out and sin. You know, Paul said, don't go out and, and sin so that grace will abound. But he did say where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Okay? Very important for us to understand this. When we sin, God gives us grace, but that is not an invitation to go out and sin as much as we possibly can. So I get lots of grace. God's grace is so abundant and, and more than we can imagine that we don't need to sin on purpose to get him to, to give us grace. But it says here, listen to this list of things that, that Paul talks about. In verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Okay, so first off, the law was not made for us if we're following God and we're, we have him living in us. The law is not made for us because he dwells in us and he's going to pour out of us. Okay, it's not made for us. Once you've accepted Jesus Christ, the law is not made for you. Now that doesn't, again, doesn't mean we go out and break as many of God's laws as possible. But he says it's not made for you. It's made to show people that they are sinners. So that they can come into Christ, be justified. 
Okay, and we've talked several times about the three parts of salvation. The first part of salvation is justification. God judicially in the courts of heaven says, when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and accepted his sacrifice, you're perfect. Now, you and I both know that none of us are perfect. <laughs> but in the courts of heaven, God has said, you are perfect. It's kind of like a bankruptcy court that takes all of your bills in the bankruptcy court and with a swing of the gavel says, they're all gone. Okay, technically you morally still owe those debts, but the, the courts have said you don't owe them. And the businesses can't come after you. The people can't come after you. That is what God has done for us in heaven. We come to Jesus Christ and he says, perfect. We need to really start understanding how God sees us. How many of us are afraid to go before God because we're so afraid of all the sins and things we've committed in the week or, or hours or minutes before we go to him and we're afraid to go to God? We need to start seeing ourselves. God the Father sees us perfect. Gives you a lot of confidence to go before God. Now he spends our lifetime too in the second part of salvation. That's sanctifying us. And that's a big, big fancy word that says he's making us who he said we are. He's going to put us in situations to make us learn to be who he is. To, he's going to put us in a place where we need to learn to be forgiving by putting us in contact with people that, are hard, that need forgiveness. He's going to put us in situations to be more loving by getting, putting us in contact with people that are hard to love. You know, how many times have I heard or you've heard, you know, well, I don't go to that church because it's just full of people that are hard to get along with. Well, praise God. God's trying to, trying to teach you something. <laughs> If I went to a church and there was no problems, everybody was, was perfect in the church, I would probably have to say something's wrong with that church. <laughs> okay? The word of God is not being taught. The, something is not right there. When God's word is preached, people are going to be offended. I've been in church many, many times and where my toes have been stepped on. My toes get stepped on when I'm driving around listening to the pastors on the radio and they go, how did, how did they know what I needed to not hear? <laughs> or not want to hear. If you, have, you know, I'm going to say, if you, go to, if you ever switch churches, go to a church, and your toes are never stepped on by the pastor that's at that church, get out of that church very quickly. Because they're not preaching the word of God, because God's word is going to offend. In our Bible reading, we said that Jesus taught the people that they were to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, and many were offended and departed from him. Jesus did this all the time. He said things that bugged people, and, and they and they ran away because they go, we don't like your teaching. It steps on our toes. It, may, it offends us. We don't like what you're asking us to do. That is good preaching in many states, good teaching. And we look at this, and it says that we know that the law was not made for, but, again, that word but. Whenever you see the word but or therefore, go back and find out what they're there for. <laughs> All right? But for the lawless and disobedient. Lawless, destitute of law, and disobedient, not subject to the control. How many times have we been <laughs> the second one? <laughs> you know, not subject to the law. You know, subject, submitted. You know, the word submit has such negative influence in our day and age, and it literally just means to align yourself under. You know, we've talked about this in several places. Jesus was submitted to the Father to come to this world. Later on, he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph, his parents, 
when he went away to the temple and they found him in the temple at age 12 and they go, what are you doing this? And it says he submitted him or subjected himself, which is the same word, submit, to his parents. The God of the universe <laughs> subjecting himself to earthly parents. And we have a problem with the word submit sometimes. You know, and this word for, for disobedient is not submitted to the law. Oh, we have trouble not being submitted to the law so often. And if God is living in us and we're trying to be like him, it's going to be easy to be submitted to the law. I'm not going to sit there and fight, well, I really, really, really want to do these things. No, I'm submitted to God. I'm submitted to his law. The next one that he puts in here is for the ungodly and the sinners. Ungodly is def desolate of referential awe of God. How many of have met people out there that have no reverence for God? You know, I meet them all the time. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to do this, that, or the other thing. I can worship God wherever I want. And you know what? That's a true statement. But they're probably not worshiping God wherever they, wherever they want. It takes discipline to worship God. I have to plan to worship God. And you have to plan to worship God. I plan in the morning to get up and read my Bible and pray to God. I plan to be at church on Sunday mornings and always have for as long as I can remember planned on being church on Sunday morning and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for me, but <laughs> whenever, whenever I can. But you know, if you don't plan on it, you wake up that morning and go, well, what am I going to do today? Well, I could go to church or I could go to the beach or I could go for a ride. What am I going to do today? Most of us, when we get up in the morning, do not think, when am I going to eat today? We plan to eat sometime that day. Uh, now, some people don't, but most of us make plans. If you ask somebody, when are you going to go to work, they can tell you when they're going to go to work. I'm going to be at work at 7, 8, 9, whatever time you start at work. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm planning to be there. Because if I don't go, they won't give me a paycheck. <laughs> so you plan on it. How many of us put our plans in the awe of God and say, God, I am going to plan on worshiping you? Whatever that plan is going to be for you. Just saying, well, I'm going to go out and enjoy the beauty of the, of the wilderness. Well, yeah, you probably will enjoy the beauty of the wilderness, but you're not worshiping God most times. You know, and I've heard many people say just that. And then he goes, the, the profane, the common, the un, unholy. We need to be able to put God first and say, God, you are holy, you are righteous. God loves us. But his holiness and his righteousness demanded that Jesus die for our sins because he couldn't just say, well, I love all of you guys so much on this earth that I'm just going to forgive you. His righteousness and his holiness would not allow that activity. And he says that we got people that are on that. This next one's kind of interesting. For murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, and manslayers. We want to think about in our day and age, what is one of the biggest problems that we have is the idea of when is it time to, to put your mom and dad away because they they're draining the resources from your from the family inheritance you know this is becoming a really big thing in our day and age and here it is and you know in Paul's writing it was a problem for Rome big problem for Rome it said there had to be a time to get rid of the the old decrepit person who needed lots of medical care and and wasn't bringing anything in and, and he's saying these laws were written for those type of people. 
know, we also have the same opposite problem, just as Rome did, the murder of our babies. It's called abortion, but it is a murder of our babies. Now, we do it before they're born. Rome did it afterwards. They took them to the temples of the god and put them on the altar to their gods and burned them. They, they didn't want to go to the altar. They threw them into the river to the river gods. They did a post-abortion to get rid of the kids. We do it before. Still murder. And this is the people that this, the law was created for. All right? And we, it's kind of funny. I say so often, have you ever had somebody tell you, how can you believe that Bible, that old book that has nothing to do with today? You know, I, I've heard that so many times. I'm going, have you ever read the Bible? Most of the time, it's like reading a newspaper in our day and age when he brings out these things. You know, back in the 1800s, they were reading these people killing their parents. Who would do something like that? And in our day, we look and say, this is a problem that we are facing again and have faced in generations and in the past. There's nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes tells us. And everything that's been going on today has happened in the past. And God, and here Paul is telling us the law was written for just these type of people to show them that they are sinners. Then goes for whoremongers. And them that defile themselves with mankind, whoremongers, fornicators. Again, this is a term that we're facing in our country. How many people live together without being married? God calls it fornication. He calls it sin. And defilers of themselves with men is homosexuality. Okay. All of these things are not new. They are not new in the sin, sin activities. They have been around. Exodus talks about them. Leviticus talks about them. They've been around forever because man is sinful. And then they try to tell us that these things aren't, you know, the Bible doesn't speak against these things. All over the place it speaks against these sins. They don't understand because they don't get into the law to see that God says it's wrong. And God says these things are wrong so that we know, not that we condemn ourselves, not that we condemn the sinner who's doing these things, but to show them their need for Christ. My need for Christ is great. And I'm a saved person, been saved for a few years, few decades. I need him as much as anybody else's, and you all need him just as much as anybody else. The sinner really needs him. The one who doesn't know they're a sinner really needs him. Because they're headed to hell without, without recognizing their sin and accepting Christ. Then he goes for men stealers, for liars, and perjured people. Men stealers, kidnappers. You know, kidnapping's been going on for generations and centuries and millennia. It has gone on for everything, and we know that it's a problem, and God says that's a sin. And for those who lie, uh, that one can be somewhat, somewhat harder, especially for us even, how easy it is to tell lies to try to stay out of trouble. You know, and sometimes we parents do a bad example for our kids. We tell them not to lie, and then it's not as hard nowadays when we have ID, caller ID, but we t you know, used to be we tell our kids, go answer the phone, and if it's so-and-so, tell them I'm not here. Okay, kids, don't lie, but if I tell you to, go ahead and lie. Okay, how many times do we do this kind of double standard in our, in our life? Kids, you really need to go to church each day, but you know, we're, we're going to go do this this Sunday. We're going to do this on Wednesday. But you all need to go to church whenever, whenever we're going. 
we want to be very careful about what we do because the kids look at that kind of saying and say, well, that's kind of hypocritical. I have to go when you want to go, but you don't always want to go. That's a problem. Uh, when my kids were growing up, they knew that on Sunday morning we were going to church. If we were on vacation, we went to church. Who knows where we'd go to church on vacation, but we went to church on Sunday morning. It was just a known fact. We're going to church. Unless we're, unless we're dying, dying of some disease, we're going to church. And usually that meant somebody better be going to the hospital <laughs> or we're going to church. But you know, how important is God to us? Have we made our plan to follow him? The other way I would say it is, what will keep you from following God's plan? What will keep you from meeting your Bible? Well, they say that there's a very famous saying that the, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. Yeah. If you're not in God's word, start looking at your life and finding out what sin is in your life. If you're not going to church regularly and making plans to, you might want to look and say, is there some sin that's keeping me from going to church? Because God says these things are important. In Hebrews it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. How many times do I hear people go, well, I don't need to go to church. You're right, you don't need to go to church. But if you want to be a successful growing Christian, you better be in church. You need to be taught. You need the other body members to rub you the wrong way and get you angry and make show you that you need some growth. Uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, when you come to church, it's not a perfect place. And a matter of fact, if you found the church was perfect, don't attend because you'd make it imperfect. And so would I. <laughs> okay? You can't find a perfect church because it's made up of imperfect people learning to become more like God. The more they learn to become like God, the more perfect they will be in their day-to-day -day walk, but they're still never going to be perfect. Because the last step of salvation is that moment you die, you are raptured, and God gives us glorification. Oh, the beauty of glorification. He will make us who he said we were in the beginning. You know, when we go to heaven, we'll be perfect. The desire that we have to be perfect, we will remember what we're taught. We won't be forgetting everything that we've been taught. And one of the things that distresses me is all the things I've forgotten that I've learned in the past and I have to relearn so often. I'm looking forward to the day when I get to heaven and I've learned something and it's going to stick. You know, a trillion years from now, I'll remember what I was taught and not have forgotten it. But this is what he says, all these things. And then for the perjured person, the person who lies under oath, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sign doctrine, in case I, Paul says, in case I forgot anything, anything else that isn't sound to God is sin. Again, why is he doing all this? It's not so that we will condemn ourselves. Satan tries to condemn us of our sin. He wants us to be defeated. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and the conviction has a purpose. That conviction is to get us to repent. And what is repentance? It's turning away from our sin and turning back toward God. Okay. I've heard people say, well, I repented. I said, I'm sorry. Okay, great. You're sorry. And what? And what? You're sorry. How many of you ever made your kids tell one of the other kids, I'm sorry? <clears throat> and you get something like, I'm sorry. Uh, what are you sorry for? Mom made me say it. Dad made me say it. I'm really not sorry, but I, I'm being made to say it. 
How many of us use that with God when we're repenting of our sin? God, I'm sorry I did such and such. Usually it's, I'm sorry I got caught. God, I'm sorry I got caught by others and now I have to repent or pretend to repent. True repentance is, God, I am so sorry that I have done this. Help me not do it anymore and turn away from that sin. That is what the purpose of the law is. Here is your rules. Here's what you've broken. Repent and turn back to me. Because we will never be able to do it on our own. It's all by his grace and his mercy and his power. And then Paul ends, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed, which was committed to my trust. The only way that we can be there is through the gospel. The gospel message, Jesus died for our sins. And given just a partial list, and like I say, he tagged on the very end, and if I forgot anything that you have a problem with, it's included by this statement. Anything that's contrary to sound doctrine. Because how many times as you walk with God, has God started convicting you of something that may not be a law? Some of these are real easy. You shall not steal. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not uh, you know, have lust or cov- covet. You'll, uh, God will be before all gods. But how about some of these things that God has told you that you can't do that aren't uh, thou shalt not? Okay. Uh, I used to have problems being very critical of presidents, and I'm still not very, very happy with presidents, but God, on partic- one particular president got after me. And it's not very recent. It was years ago. And he goes, have you been praying for this person? I go, no. And they basically told me, quit talking about him. Okay. Now, there, is a, thou shalt not, there isn't a verse that says, thou shalt not speak against the pre- uh, president. But you know what? God told me not to. At least that particular president, not to. Many of us have places like that. There are people who have given up smoking, and they are so adamant you know, the smoker better not be anywhere near them because they will tell them how, how they're not supposed to be doing it. Well, there is not a thou shalt not smoke verse in the Bible. Smoking is probably not a great idea. <laughs> okay, it's destructive to the body. It's expensive and all these other things. It's not the greatest idea. But there's no verse in there that says thou shalt not smoke. But if God works on your heart and he tells you not to smoke, then you better not smoke. And you can pick anything, anything down, the, down the whole list of things that people, where there's a thou shalt not. You know, we get people who says, you know, you can't drink. Well, the Bible tells us not to be drunk. Again, drinking is probably not the best thing to do. But that's between you and God. And, but he says, don't be drunk. Now, if you get into drunkenness, you've crossed the line. All, there's many places in our life where God puts principles out there and sound doctrine and if he convicts you of it, don't do it. But don't sit there and try to make everybody else live the way you've been taught to live. You can share why you don't do it because of the sound doctrine part of it. But the gospel is going to be a whole long series of growth. I was witnessing to one guy several years ago. I was in college the second time. And I was telling him about Christ. And he goes, well, it's easy for you. You got your whole life put together. And I'm going, you don't even understand. I go, yes, I'm not dealing with the drugs and alcohol and, all, and the partying that you're dealing with. But man, I've got a lot harder areas that God is taking out of my life. And God's not asking you to get rid of those things. All he's asking you is to turn to him, and he will take them out of your life. And that's the greatest news. How do we live victoriously? We let him change us. 
We let him change us. Now, that doesn't mean we put ourselves in the middle of it's situations where we're going to sin. If you're somebody who God said, don't drink, you don't spend your time in the bar. That's not a wise place to be. If God's told you not to drink and you have a problem with drinking, the bar is not the place to go. If you're having trouble with fornication and adultery, the brothel is not the place to go. It's probably not the place to go anyway, but it's definitely not the place to go if you're, gonna, if you're having problems with those areas. We want to be careful where we're doing, what we're doing. Are we letting God work in our life? Are we filling our life with him? Out of the abundance of our heart, we will speak and act. And this kind of tells you, if you listen to some of the things you say, what's it reveal to you about your heart? Are your words loving? Are your words forgiving? Are your loves ed- words edifying? Might tell you a lot about what's in your heart. And God tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked and above all things. Who can know it? We don't even know how bad our heart is. That's why God says, I'm going to take out your stony heart and give you a new heart of flesh that the spirit is going to be involved with. And this is why, watch what we say. Listen to what you say once in a while. How often do you engage in gossip? And we as Christians are really good at gossip. You need to pray for so-and-so because they have this problem, that problem, and you, and you give all their problems and who they're having problems with, and you, know, and you really need to pray for them. We hide our gossip many times in, in this prayer request mentality. Yeah. And when people go, well, you need to know what's going on, I'll tell them, you know, I don't need to know what's going on. Just tell me they have a problem, and I'll pray for them because God knows what their problem is. If they want to tell me what their problem is so I can pray with specifics, that's one thing. But I don't need to hear about people's problems from somebody else. Just tell me they need, they need prayer. And we'll pray for them. We'll put them on the prayer list. We'll lift them up. But the gospel message is that for sinners, Christ died. And Paul says, I get to deliver this message. You know what? We all get to deliver that message. That Christ died for sin. All oh, the preciousness of that, that desire to, to serve God. And I hope you take advantage of these opportunities to preach the gospel. Because the alternative of that gospel being preached is that they're headed to hell. If they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to hell. No matter how good they think they are, no matter how perfect they think they are, without Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. And this is the sad thing about it. Jesus told them... um, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And they list all kinds of godly things. God, I went to church. I fed the hungry. I, I visited the sick. I, fed, I went to the prisons. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Good works aren't going to get us to heaven. You can have a whole pile of good works, but all it takes is one sin to, to obliterate the entire stack of good works. That important. The law tells us that we need Jesus. And this is what Paul's teaching. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this message that doesn't know you, we ask that they commit to their heart to you, that they will pray and stand before you and say, Lord, I am a sinner that deserves punishment. Come into my heart and give me a new heart that I could live for you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.